0: Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troyedu lead change.
1: From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. With the extreme heat we're having in late summer, we asked Dr. Wes Stubblefield, District Medical Officer, for the Alabama Department of Public Health to share his advice about safety during the heat. We're also hearing predictions about the flu season and RSV. So the past president of the Alabama chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics joins us by Skype. Dr. Stubblefield, welcome back to Troy Public Radio.
0: So good to speak to you today.
1: Tell us about hot weather and what precautions we should be paying attention to.
0: So as many of us know, many of us, including myself or Alabama natives, uh, we're no stranger to hot weather. But it seems like this year we've we've seen some pretty hot stints and they're definitely dealing with some heat-related problems in the Southwest. And we fully expect for more hot weather for us in Alabama for at least the next couple of months. So I think it's important when we think about hot weather for those that it may be just be recreational, that we be careful and stay hydrated if we're doing recreational activities like hiking or biking or exercising, but even working in the yard can be dangerous. And then when we think about special populations, children, older adults, those with chronic medical problems that may make them more susceptible to heat illness, people need to be very cautious in these very hot days, potentially limiting their activity during the hottest times of the day, staying very well hydrated, uh, making sure they have access to cooler air if possible, um, and to know the signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke, which can be things like not feeling well, dizziness, nausea, leading on into, into more serious symptoms.
1: So, Dr. Stubblefield, what is the difference between heat sickness symptoms and heat
0: stroke symptoms? So heat illnesses or heat-related illnesses are on a spectrum, and so you can see some mild symptoms like muscle cramps just from losing a lot of electrolytes and losing a lot of sweat. And then you can move on to what they call heat exhaustion, which is where your body starts to have physical symptoms from being too hot. So you you don't feel well. You may get sick. You may throw up. You may feel weak, dizzy, dizzy things like that. And then when you move into heat stroke, the body just loses the ability to get rid of heat. So these people are very, very hot. They can have temperatures over 106 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's a medical emergency. It requires EMS. And so it's important when people are out in hot weather that they look for any symptoms of not feeling well, intervene quickly. And if they see someone who might be suffering more severe consequences where they may be unconscious, they may not be talking correctly or thinking correctly, then that requires immediate intervention 911, getting them into a cool environment so they can receive attention.
1: And I've heard that if they stop sweating, that's a sign of heat stroke. Do you agree?
0: Yes. I do. Sweating is one of the ways the body rids itself of heat and at some point getting that hot and dry, flushed appearance that where they stop sweating and they just can't dissipate heat and it's very dangerous.
1: Well here we are, the last week in July, and we're facing the start of school and that brings up the question of vaccinations. What are we looking at for the school year?
0: So it, it depends on your child's history. There are certain vaccines that are required for for entry into school. And if your child has been on the typical course and have had the typical childhood vaccines, they would receive vaccines most commonly before they enter either potentially a 4K program or kindergarten. Those are just boosters from the regular childhood vaccines. And then again, there's some required vaccines for the entry into sixth grade. These are Alabama rules. But I think it's important for people to know that Alabama rules do not require all the recommended vaccines, and they should speak with their health care provider about the vaccines that they may be behind or that they may need that are in addition to what Alabama's laws require.
1: What is the outlook for flu?
0: So we are anticipating a more normal flu season this year. Uh, we've had some very unusual flu seasons over the last few years with flu being virtually non-existent during the peak illness of, of COVID and then having some unusual and early activity last year. So we're, we're thinking we might have a more traditional flu season this year, but that's still to be seen. Uh, historically in Alabama, flu peaks around the January timeline, but we want people to go ahead and be thinking about getting their flu vaccines when they were available, which is typically in the early fall.
1: Is there a different flu vaccine for senior adults?
0: Yes, um so this is relatively new. Individuals that are older than 65 should receive one of the three vaccines that are specifically made for those that are over 65. And my recommendation is that you ask your vaccine provider, if they have one of those three vaccines, they're all equally recommended, no difference between the three. And if they don't, they try to seek those out. But if they can't find that vaccine, it's better to get any flu vaccine than none. But again, preferentially the ones that are made for those over 65. And your vaccine provider should know exactly what you're talking about.
1: What do you say to people who complain that the flu vaccine gave them the flu?
0: It's it's not possible to get flu from the flu vaccine. I think people should remember that your immune system doesn't make a response immediately to a vaccine. It takes a couple of weeks for you to get peak antibody levels. So once you've had the vaccine, you are still susceptible to the illness for a couple of weeks. That's why we want people to get the vaccine early to make sure that if there is an early peak, that they're protected. But most often, if someone has symptoms of flu. They may actually not have the flu, but if they are test positive for the flu, it was just coincidence. They just ended up getting the flu right about the time they got the flu vaccine.
1: And what is RSV? We hear a lot of concern about this RSV virus.
0: So the RSV virus, it stands for respiratory syncytial virus, and it's a very, very dangerous virus that mostly affects very young children and older adults. This virus causes a very serious lung inflammation. It can cause difficulty breathing, leading to hospitalization, ICU admission, and even death in in some cases. It's most problematic in people who already have underlying lung conditions, specifically in very young infants who may be very premature, maybe older adults who already have lung problems. Again, this is a seasonal virus like the flu. It typically is is a wintertime virus. But thankfully, this year, just recently, they approved and will start d- delivering a RSV vaccine for older adults. This is to decrease both the risk of infection and the risk for serious illness in this age group. There is no word yet on anyone outside of those 60 and older, but this RSV vaccine is safe and effective for older individuals, and they should talk to their health care provider about the availability and recommendations.
1: Do we have a timeline on that availability?
0: At this point, we do not. We're hopeful that these will start shipping very soon. Again, those 60 and older should be ready to talk to their health care provider about whether or not they need these vaccines, in addition to other vaccines that may be recommended, the shingles vaccine, pneumococcal vaccines, things like that.
1: Back to these little kids who are so vulnerable to this RSV, what can parents do and grandparents do to protect them?
0: One thing it could be, we don't know, but it might be that if grandparents, those older than 60, get immunized, they may be less likely to contract the virus and then, of course, pass it on to family members. Unfortunately, this virus is very contagious and it tends to spread very quickly among younger children, particularly those in group settings like in daycares. Most children who get RSV do very well, and the older you are, the typically the better you do. Many parents have had experience with RSV and know what a terrible illness it is. So, primarily, the main thing you can do for your children when they start to get sick is to watch them very closely if they continue to worsen over a period of several days, even a week. And so if they see worsening, if they see difficulty breathing, difficulty taking a bottle if they're younger, and especially if they've got household contacts or maybe a breakout in a daycare, that they seek medical care.
1: Well, Dr. Stubblefield, I want to thank you for your time today. Can your listeners get more information on the ADPH website?
0: Absolutely. Um, All of this information we talk about, including our tracking for COVID illnesses, our flu vaccines, flu illnesses, RSV, a lot of information on alabamapublichealth.gov.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today by Skype. Absolutely. That was Dr. Wes Stubblefield, District Medical Officer for the Alabama Department of Public Health. More information on the topics we discussed can be found at the website alabamapublichealth.gov. Thanks for joining us today for In Focus, which is a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.